Hi everybody, welcome to episode 11 of The Confused Dad. And it is 6.39 a.m. this morning on the 2nd, Saturday the 2nd of June. And some exciting things have been going on. I'm up and I will be up early, uh, on the weekends at least, very early, as I have started a journey of um, joining a company that teaches English to children in China, which means the time delay between myself or the time zones in Beijing against South Africa is six hours difference. So that means that on Saturdays and Sundays, I am up from about 2 a.m. through to 6 a.m. So that's going to be very interesting in terms of just working at those kinds of strange hours. And for those of you that don't know, teaching English um, online is kind of like you kind of have to embody, uh, it's difficult to explain, imagine imagine a clown at a birthday party with those kinds of large physicalities, right? Big, you have to use lots of movements, you're thousands of kilometers away from, from the people you're teaching. They're seeing you through a webcam, you're seeing them as well. In this case, it's a class full of children. It can be sometimes two kids, and other times 50 or 60 in a room. And you have a tool set, uh, an application you log into, and you've got a virtual, essentially, whiteboard, and you can play videos and show them videos and work through materials that um, that is correct for their level that this company provides you with. You have to prepare the presentation of this material, and you have to be fairly quick on your feet. Um, sometimes there's a lot of technical issues that can occur and you have to be able to work within those. There have been teachers uh, on the group, a Skype group that I'm a part of now, um, that have reported having to teach without being able to hear the children, having to teach without being able to see the children, and a million other things in between, including one where a boy was hiding under a table and distracting all the other children. Not that different from a school environment but you don't have that immediacy, that presence in the classroom as a physical being. So you're sort of a virtual person, which is very, very interesting, actually. Um, the classes then range from, uh, they're 25-minute classes, sometimes they're 50-minute classes, and after the class you finish up and then you have a quick turnaround for the next one. Um, it is interesting also to note that they work on the weekends. The children are going to learn uh, English usually through attending English classes. Sometimes the children are from rural areas. Um, this is what this company is particularly trying to do, which is I find quite cool that they are trying to reach out to children who would otherwise not have access to learning English. These children then all come to a school for a specific period of time. They may not actually have the entire day at the school. They just come for the English module, so to speak. Um, other times, you're dealing with very affluent private schools. Um, I was told in the interview that you will know whether it's a private and affluent school when all the children are wearing the same uniform, because obviously the schools that cater for everybody, children come in a whole range of uh, outfits and clothes, and um, it's interesting to note. And I found that quite appealing that, you know, you can actually make some bit of difference for them. Who knows? Um, what those children become, what they go on to do. But 
coming back to something which is interesting for me is this feeling of not not wanting to teach the way that that I had been doing it just because of the the last few weeks uh, I've really come to to terms with the fact that I'd really like to be able to share whatever skill set I have but in a far more clear and concise way by that I mean in this case I'm being paid to teach the lesson and be done with the lesson and I don't necessarily have to also help manage a divorce that parents are going through I also don't necessarily have to field uh, questions about the children's development and the stress and pressure that comes with parents and just in general clients and it's funny when you start using that word in relation to a parent because for some reason schooling and education is big business not for some reason it's big business because everybody's really frightened that if they don't get their child an education by that I mean a very brick and mortar straight down the line kind of classical style um, of go to school go to go to preschool go to your primary school go to your high school and then go to university then your child's going to be a dunce drool on themselves and not have any idea what time of day it is and obviously we know that's not the case not only just because some of the most successful business and otherwise emotionally successful uh, people did not only do badly at school some of them did not even go or complete schooling in any classical sense of the word and yet we look at those stories and go oh well you know that's an exception but there's enough of them to make a case for the fact that there's definitely no straight pathway in life we know this I know this I'm sitting here because of that I'm teaching English online because my life didn't take a straight path the way that I thought it would and I think there's merit in going through an experience like losing a job um, because it it clearly or at least for me has afforded me the, the, the opportunity to be incredibly flexible if you're not flexible if you're not adaptable then how on earth do you survive a world that sees you one day um, doing X and the next day you're doing Y at the crazy hour of 2 a.m. in the morning I must say though um, it's been quite a pleasure dealing with the company itself um, and I don't want to generalize but in South Africa at least business sort of etiquette or the way in which people treat you from their side whatever they are whatever background they come from there's often I find it to be lacking there's a there's a general sense of lack of effort um, people take forever to get back to you they are not always polite um, there's just a sort of you owe us for doing business with us kind of attitude um, which permeates a lot of the businesses um, and that's uh, not something I've, I've found happening here everybody feels quite respected and everybody understands that all the little cogs to make this company work and they to give you a sense of the scale and they're not by any means the largest um, business that does uh, English language teaching they do 1,000 lessons over a Saturday and Sunday that's what they do and they basically do those within a four four to six hour period so they are responsible for online lessons and they have a system in place with 
the calendars and booking systems and logging in and preparing everything but they they generate a thousand times 20 minute 25 minute lessons in a weekend they're ones that do far more than that but the scale requires somebody or a group of people who are quite effective and can get on with it and i appreciate that and i think that's possibly uh, a testament to certain aspects of of uh, the chinese culture um, not to say that that does not permeate uh, into other cultures. I think there's some very other sort of effective cultures. It's just, and I'm not saying that's the best way to do things. I think there's a limit. I once read a book called Tiger Mom. Um, the book was all about um, a sort of Chinese mother's parenting style. And uh, it caused quite a lot of, of ripples um, at the time because... I remember this one image was, uh, I think it was a little girl who's, who had to do piano because that's the thing you do, obviously, classically, you have to do piano, you have to play an instrument as a sort of up-and-coming young little Chinese child. And the mother was forcing this child to practice and practice and they needed to go to the bathroom. And the answer was, uh, well, once you finished your practices and eventually the child couldn't hold it in any longer and was practicing through you know, um, wetting, wetting themselves on this, on the, in front of this piano. And I mean, that would be absolutely disgusting had it been in the West. The fact that you're letting a kid pee on themselves because, you know, they, <laughs> they have piano practice, that would be, well, that would be seen as abuse. And yet in the, in the culture, and, and again, it's a group of people, I'm not generalizing that it's the entire Chinese population. It's really not. But for those kind of A types who want the best for their children, by best it is best by Western standards often, which is also strange. It's like the very same, the very same standards that no one in the West would think is okay to have their child go through. They're the same ones that some, so much of the world aspire to. So the very same things you can't live up to is what other people are actually achieving. It's quite interesting. But what comes with a certain level of, I suppose, emotional or historical. I think cultures are interesting in that we don't fully understand, or maybe there are people who do, but we don't fully grasp how all the little historical interactions and geographical positioning, I mean, how all those things come together to create a culture, how it comes together to create a value set. South Africa is a great example of that because we really struggle with this idea of the extreme nature of our society people come here and it's amazing people say everyone's so friendly you can chat to anyone i've heard that that's not the case in other countries where uh, for example in the east where just having a little discussion with the shopkeeper the person who's assisted you um as a foreigner at least or yeah it's, it's not it's it's sort of seen as not not socially polite to just make chit chat Whereas in South Africa, everybody wants to chat. Everybody wants to. And I never just say goodbye, thank you. It's always, oh, how's your day? And uh, how's business doing? And there's always that. And that's something which people who leave here miss when they go to countries that are different to that. But at the same time, we've got this extreme divide with this disempowerment that our country's been built on. The very nature of um, a large, massive group of people who were oppressed to the point where they believed such negative things about themselves 
that that still permeates us today, that they're still massive. We still have chips on our shoulders because it was so intense. Everything was so intensely enforced and there was this almost, obviously the rules for the enforcers were different from those who had to receive it. And I wondered to myself, you know, were things, there are actually people in our country that believe things were better when we had segregation within the population. I mean, that's, people feel that because they felt more heard, I think. They felt more important that there was status given to them, which now you have to share because we'd like to get along as equally as possible. So I don't know what business was like back then in our country where I think... I don't know. Obviously, the majority of the population couldn't access the services available to businesses. So, to me, it didn't really matter whether the mechanic down the road who'd fix your car was a nice guy and was good to get along with if, you know, the majority of the population couldn't afford or weren't allowed to have a car or drive. Then it doesn't really matter. And I find that quite disparaging or I find it quite sad that there are people who would say or claim yeah things were a lot better because things were more effective and efficient but if you separate people and then you bring them back together again I think you're going to have your work cut out for you but coming back to my original point the company I dealt with or have been dealing with now that I'm I'm working for them has been quite they've been very polite and each little cog in the machine the person who does the initial interview and then you go through a training process where you then have to do a mock class where you teach an adult who pretends to be a child I mean you know that's pretty cool and um, each step of the process nobody's been late everybody's been in on time to the to the minute um, it really does work like clockwork and um, I could tell that those people were also very busy they're also just little pawns on the grand scheme of the company's thinking and they were they were very lovely to deal with and for me that's really lovely as as a I suppose the word ex full-time teacher or ex ex physical teacher I don't know what you what you can call it it's a nice feeling just because I think in the teaching community in general um, I, I suppose it's it's not fair to just say that's with everybody the same thing but everybody feels I think everybody gets treated badly in ways that hurt them personally so like if you if you own a sunglass hut so you sell sunglasses right that's one of the franchises in South Africa sunglass hut you sell sunglasses and then a customer comes in they're really irate you, you you're the one if you're the person on the ground you're doing retail you're selling you take the brunt of the irritation okay my Gucci sunglasses hinge keeps breaking or cracking or this is terrible, horrible, call your manager, etc. That person feels bad about themselves for a moment. And then the customer leaves and then you go, well, I'll never have to deal with that person again. They're never coming back in. If they do, you know, that you do get those psychos who go back for punishment, who want to make a point and want to hurt people personally um, in retail, you know, want to make a scene. But for the most part, you can kind of blow it off and uh, well, I'll never see that person again, whatever. But with teaching, it's weird. Like I've had, I've had cases where people have said some really horrible things and made some very not, not so very subtle um, accusations against me where 
I was uh, accused of not not having their children's best interests at heart, not uh, caring enough, and this off the back of making a point to care in ways that, you know, my own child deserves. My child deserves that energy, not not a, a child who is in my care, who's being, who's who's not exclusively mine, not biologically mine, and whom I really don't have control over or, or control over their brain development when they go home. Like, what do you think this is, you know? And those things have cut and hurt and stuck with me and made me question myself many times. But then I have to see them the next day because people don't just leave schools. They don't just do it. It's a funny, funny thing. We have we have a symptom of that also in, in certain other services. It's, it's interesting, our cellular providers you sign a two-year contract with a cellular provider in our country. So you're locked in for two years. And you almost feel, you almost feel it's a strange, abusive dynamic where you almost feel like you owe them. If the service is bad, you apologetically call and you're sort of stuck with them. And in teaching, it's similar. You almost feel, you feel like locked in. So you feel, you feel almost... I think the syndrome is that hostage, the syndrome where, where people who get taken hostage fall sort of, they fall in love with the hostage taker or they start empathizing with the hostage taker. And it's, it's difficult because when you start talking about education, you can skirt the realities of the people in it as much as you want. And that's often the strange thing is, one has to always talk about the systems and the structures that surround the very people that create the world. So a school is nothing more than a building and the people in it, the exchange of energy between the student and the teacher, that dynamic is the school. That's the funny part. So although you're talking about systems and so often schools fall into this sort of system obsessed reality where you want to lay out all the systems and have procedures and policies in place the funny thing is that those things mean absolutely nothing because behind closed doors a lot of the time those things are short shortcutted or you know ignored until the day where you have to have some kind of review which happens you know very rarely because there's no in our country there are no, there are no systems of peer review on a national level, on a countrywide level, we're not learning from the best of the best teachers because there's no infrastructure put in place to make that happen. And I thought about that because when I want to learn something, I'll just go onto YouTube and lo and behold, 99.9% .9 of the time, somebody's made a video explaining exactly what I should do. And wow, I've solved my problem. There's usually, you know, 10 to 20, 30, 40 videos that can solve my problem. And it just comes down to, which one I click on first and there it is and when it comes to teaching it's funny because the best of the best teachers and by the best I mean people who have certain insights into a class dynamic or can relate to children in a very specific way that allows them to connect more deeply or become more forgiving to the school structure they're in and get on with their work or whatever you categorize as a good teacher um, those people are not filmed and shown, they, 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 their lessons are not shown to other teachers where there's a sort of internal 
chat and rating system where they could rate the best possible examples of certain things they saw. I think that's because we there's something about seeing a teacher working that creates in you because it's a performance. There's there's almost there's an immediate judgment like you sitting down to be taught. So the assumption is that you need to be a good performer and and let me say that teaching English online to children who don't have um, access to it, that you are a performer, most definitely. But there's something about being a performer, getting on stage, 25 minutes later, you're done, you take the costume off, you get ready for the next performance, you put on the performance. It's a character. And I did not find and do not find that there's that separation when I'm deeply involved or through all my experience having taught in a university and then in a school and then after that a school that I was running I never found that separation to exist you just carry it all with you all the experiences all the all the strangely all the bad stuff the tough stuff sits with you for a long time and sometimes alters you for for the worst because you want to make adjustments and keep customers happy but you're not really allowed to call them customers and firing the customer is something which you really don't want to do it's something which in other businesses you'd go geez this customer didn't pay me treated me badly you know is late whatever okay we're done business wise i'm not selling you tiles or you know please don't come into the shoe store anymore because you have a bad attitude with schools it's like the teachers they don't have the agency they don't have the power to do that and yet they have the power to be in a room with children on their own and say and do as they need and please and there are tons and tons of them often many of which and again this is local to our country but it's not that difficult to become a teacher it's not that difficult to work with children they are short of a police background check there's no psychological background check i mean i am I'm, I'm unsure as to the systems in place to sort out who should become a psychiatrist or who should become a surgeon i don't know if there's an element to it which is uh, psychological or things that are assessed around those things but for a teacher geez i i really do think you want the, the highest possible, uh, most emotionally intelligent, most articulate, most um, bird's eye view kind of person who can really be, be connected to themselves and work on themselves in such a way that they are the best possible versions of themselves, the most authentic versions of themselves for the children they interact with. And that goes right down to any age group, whether you're working with a toddler of 18 months or right up to the end of university like i'm not saying perfection because that was that was a different era where teachers had to be these non-humans and it's funny because a lot of teachers are still stuck in that where you can't be human because by being human you're also in a structure which can hurt you um, by being human by being vulnerable they you're dealing with so many people at once. It's very unlikely in any other job that has to do with people and their development. If you think about it, and I mentioned so, you know, therapists, um, 
people who have to train sportsmen i mean where you're dealing with people hotel industry whatever you want where you're dealing with a room full of 30 plus people on a daily basis rotating in and out of a room for the entire seven hour day i mean that requires that requires a pretty amazing there's so many skills including a tough skin and a gentle heart and 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 time management and 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 these people should most definitely be what I consider the creme de la creme of multitaskers and focused workers and magicians and performers and and man, you know, you name it, they tick all the boxes. And yet, let the truth be told, uh, someone who's a preschool teacher in this country can barely, barely survive. And that doesn't make much difference uh, with regards to how much experience they have. Um, you're welcome to go online and see what the average teacher salary, the average preschool teacher, uh, any of them, is in South Africa. There are some stats for that. And it's pretty shocking, um, considering it requires a very high level of emotional intelligence, a high skill set, and that they walk away with all the difficulties, troubles, judgments, and pain of being a parent in loco so a parent they, they are serving as a parent for for children sometimes and that's quite a lot for a sort of middle class family where both parents are working the, the the teacher spends more time with the children than the adult does than their parents do in a day so a child is dropped off at 6 a.m 6 30 a.m and they're at a preschool they go all the way through to aftercare which is basically the afternoon session of that school where they are looked after and they they play and so on and they get fetched at six so 6 30 to 6 they get home then there's bathing eating reading for 10 minutes or whatever if you're lucky and you sleep so that parent might have had 35 40 45 an hour of, you know and um, that's not to say that both parents are home at that time a lot of parents are only getting home later, half past six, seven o'clock, seven thirty. Traffic is bad, so they barely get to see their child. All this in the name of of what, you know? Yeah. So those are some of the questions that have been going around my head. But to get back to my original point, I like, I do, I do at this point right now in my life just like the feeling of a clean break, of what is expected deliver the lesson finish the lesson you're done whether that child performed well or not those are little things that I can send through to them as a note but on the whole my responsibility is not to raise them because I have a five-year-old son and he's awesome and I don't need to raise another child or a room full of children but we all know that as teachers you know you can't raise the children but you feel responsible for doing so and that's incredibly incredibly taxing which means on the back end, teachers should most definitely be making five, six, seven, eight, nine times, ten times their annual salary. You know, <laughs> who knows how much, but um, what it is right now, the status quo is, is revolting and um, frightening because we're definitely not getting the best possible people out of our society to lead a country where... Um, we need so much intervention, so much thought, and it doesn't help to pump money into it, 
to change the curriculum and the structures and all of that because in the end you have teachers who feel disempowered, overwhelmed, disengaged and they have to pretend that everything's okay. And that's not everyone, but for a large percentage of this country, it is. And I don't know if that is going to yield whether a child learns to read or not. I don't know what that leaves them internally as people. I don't know if that's the best possible way to go about things. So, yeah, those are some of my thoughts, but I'm going to keep you updated. Um, this was my first lesson that I did. It wasn't that rough because it was only at half past five that I had to do it. So 5.30, but tomorrow, Sunday, there I have got classes at 3.30 in the morning and then another one at 5.30. So there's going to be an opportunity for me to report in after my first class because there's a, a break in between. And I can share some of my experiences, which is really cool. So until then... Uh, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.